If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be in the end of Mark chapter 12. If you need a Bible, I have some up here. If you want to use an app, that'll be totally fine too. That'll be totally fine. Um, yeah, so again, my name is Chris. Uh, I have the, uh, the liberty of preaching this morning. It is a blessing to be here. Uh, Pastor Joel is out in Texas um, performing, well, he did a wedding yesterday for some really great friends that is uh, super encouraging that they got married. So I just want to, uh, if you can, uh, just be praying for them. That's uh, Landon and Macy. It is, uh, they were part of the, uh, the church here at very beginning a long time ago. Well, not a long time ago, but Landon uh, is military, so he got shipped off. So they're getting married. They're going to start a uh, hopefully... Uh, God-willing, beautiful marriage together. So we get to celebrate in that. Uh, if you are a child uh, below grade three, I encourage you to hang out with us today and listen to what we have to say. Uh, Mr. Shane and Ms. Jody have some coloring sheets uh, that you can absolutely be a part of. I encourage you to listen, and I also encourage you to color away as uh, you eventually will be a part of a church and know all this stuff as well. So, last week, Pastor Joel, he went through uh, the part of Mark uh, in Scripture where uh, Jesus did his last public teaching. So, just so so everybody knows where we're at, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. We will be in verses 41 through 44. So, if you can, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, feel free to grab a Bible if, whenever you want to. But you'll know that uh, last week, Jesus, what Pastor Joel went through, Jesus did his sort of his last little mic drop moment, basically calling on the religious leaders, saying that they were all dressed in robes and dressed all fancy, right? And said, don't be a part of that. Their outward appearance is not an inward reflection of their heart. So it was, uh, it was an interesting message. It was very, uh, for me, it was a very convicting message. Uh, and that kind of stuff is really good. Uh, we leave, I left, not frustrated, but convicted. And there's a part of me that in my, in my flesh, I wrestle with the idea of guilt. God is not a God that will cast guilt on us. That is going to be something that I drum up in my own way. I take a conviction and and the sanctifying work of Christ and I put it on myself in guilt. And in that, I encourage you to, if, if as you process what God is saying, if you start feeling guilty, know that that stuff is from the flesh. God's not going to sit there and cast guilt on you. He will, God will, through the Holy Spirit, will cast conviction in our hearts. Okay? So this week, Uh, or last week still, we saw that the hypocrisy of sin, right? We saw the hypocrisy take place. And we even saw at the end of those messages how, how gross it was where these religious leaders would take advantage. They were taking special advantage of the most fringe people of society, which were the widows, And in that day and age, widows were a fringe part of society. They had no protection. People knew that they were widows. They were vulnerable. And the religious leaders of that time would come in 
uh, and they would basically pull money from them. They'd, they'd tell them that they needed to do all these special things and take advantage of them. Well, we get to see today, in today's word, we get to see this fringe people group, the widows of the time, okay? We get to see how and what Jesus says about them, even in their poor state. Um, And just a little quick hint for you, just like everything so far that we've learned, it's a reversal, right? It's not really what you would think. So that's normal. That's a normal Jesus thing, all right? This section specifically talks about money and about finances, all right? So I promise you, I'm not going to like throw the offering box around and stare at you intently, telling you like, hey, how much money are you going to put in there? That's not my role. I don't want to do that, nor am I going to, okay? But really what I'm going to be talking about is in reference to money and how much is given to the church, talks about the attitude of our heart. Okay, we're going to talk about the poor. We're going to talk about the rich and how they give. We're going to also talk about what Jesus says. And then we're going to put it in context to the church, all right, with our time, talent, and treasure. So if you've taken account, that's a lot of T's. I think I broke the record on T's. I got the poor, the rich, the church, and time, talent, and treasure. So I'm going to hold on to that as a, as a little bit of a benefit, right? So um, that's where we're going to be. So if you can, uh, if you have the Bible or it's in your app, please open up to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41. I'm going to read it. And if you can, please stand as we, uh, as we read that this morning. It says in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41, says, And he sat down opposite of the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she has to live on. This is God's word. You can be seated. So in verse 41, verse 41, I actually find it to be quite amusing, okay? find it to be quite amusing. If you look at verse 41 with me, it says, hold on. The wind. Verse 41 says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing the people. Jesus sat down opposite of the treasury and was observing people. Jesus was a people watcher. That might sound a little weird. I don't know about you. I like to watch people too. So it's kind of, kind of neat. I'm like, all right, maybe that's, maybe that's all right. So Jesus was a people watcher. And if you think about it, it's kind of cool because you can almost say it is like he was looking and watching upon his creation, right? Seeing kind of what they did and all that stuff. I was, yesterday I was sitting at Starbucks and I was watching the workers at Starbucks, you know, in their green aprons, little black hat, 
you know, said Starbucks on them. They were all running around like crazy, looking like tiny little ants, like all hopped up on caffeine, okay? So they were just flying around. They were taking orders and must have had orders coming in off the internet and stuff. They were all flying around, and I was watching them, and I was like, that is kind of amazing. They all have a specific role. They all know what's going on. Even one of the workers accidentally dropped the cups, like the whole stack of cups, and they eventually threw them all away. But they dropped the whole stack of cups on the ground, and it wasn't a nanosecond later, somebody different came around the back of the counter, picked them all up, and said, hey, it's all right, this stuff happens, and took them and chucked them in the trash. And it was like, it was, it was significantly amazing, right? You're seeing all these people have different roles, and they all were working together for one purpose of making a ton of coffee. Um, and it was, it, was, it was quite astonishing. Okay, so today, and, and you know, some of the stuff when I was watching them and observing them, I was thinking like, hey, I wonder if they know Christ. I wonder if they're grateful for this job that they have, that maybe Christ provided it for them. And maybe they needed this job to get off their feet and pay some bills or something like that. I wonder how they think or what do they think while they're doing it. Is it just a task that they're doing or is something that is going on inside of them giving them a purpose and a reason? Hopefully it's more than just the paycheck. Hopefully they see that the job that they have, whatever task that was in front of them, was given to them for a particular purpose and for a reason. Okay. It was quite amazing. Now, that was just Starbucks, though. And today we're talking about Jesus, and I hope that we can see Jesus in a little bit more intensity than maybe Starbucks, I hope. Right? Starbucks is just making coffee. At the end of the day, they're just making a ton of coffee and some profit. We want to see Christ and how he gives us things and gives us our time, gives us our talents, and gives us our treasure and how we give that back to God in the end. Okay, so in our, in our verses today, I got a couple of uh, a technical details I'd like to go over. Because the technical details kind of paint the picture and kind of show a little bit of what's happening inside of here. Okay, so in the treasury, they were talking about that Jesus was sitting opposite of the treasury. So first off, the treasury was inside of the temple. All right, and they called that the, they said that the treasury was a, a a part of the court of women. All right, so the treasury was placed in this part of the temple called the court of women. So in this, this was a place. This is the farthest point where women can go to worship God in the temple. Now, mind you, the culture of that day and age is a way different than the culture today. All right, it's just the way the culture is. It's not any, uh, there's no gender issues going on in here. It's just the way the culture was. All, all, our culture is way different than that, which would be fine. But nonetheless, what I'm saying is, is that this, this place of this treasury was in the court of women. Women could go there. And it's interesting that they put that there because, honestly, women and children were allowed to be there, and so were some guys. So you basically have the whole body all in one court, one area available to the treasury. Interesting place to put the treasury, right? Where you're going to have the most people is where you'd put the treasury at. It's kind of an interesting tidbit of detail. All right? Men and women and kids could conjugate inside of the court of women. Now, inside of the treasury, though, it was a common practice of that day and age. Uh, in, the, in the temple, it was a common practice for the, uh, the priests that were there to tell a, 
uh, a contribution dollar amount to people. So somebody would walk in, for instance, and uh, depending on their priestly service that was due at that moment, or the priestly service that was given to that particular individual, there was uh, a priest gave it uh, a monetary value. Okay, it was it was known, uh, and it honestly sounds a little weird, but it is the way it was at that time. So the priest would tell somebody in an out loud conversation, similar to kind of where we're at. The priest would sit there and say, hey, for that service that was due, that was, you know, whatever shekels, right? They'd give them a dollar amount or a financial amount that was due and say, okay, you need to go put it into that repository. Now, these places inside of the temple where they would deposit their, uh, all of their financials at, right? They were all in coins. There was like 12 of them that would be lined up. And they were in the shape of kind of like a ram's horn or maybe like uh, some, some commentators called it a trumpet, right? So they were quite large. The way uh, I got it kind of confused a couple of times, some commentators said it was shaped like a ram's horn, so it was wide mouth at the top and narrow at the bottom. Some said it was narrow at the top and wide at the bottom. I think that's a relevant information for us. The whole idea, though, is they wanted people to be able to deposit coins in there and not be able to steal out of it. The other thing that's really fascinating about this idea of a trumpet, if you could picture in your head a, uh, a trumpet, is it's, uh, it's, got a, it's got an opening to it, and sound would reverberate. So the reverberation of the coins going all inside of these trumpets would echo throughout the treasury, and people would hear that. And it was an outward sign of what they were doing. So it was not only did this conversation of going, hey, from the this outward conversation from the priest to the individual was known to everybody, but then you'd have these rich people tossing in tons of coin and making a ton of noise. So, and that's usually for, for priestly kind of services. There was, a, there was a place to do offerings as well. If you had like a free will offering, you could chuck it in there. But again, if you were well endowed with money, right? You would basically chuck a bunch of change in there and everybody would know that that's what happened. So if you think about it, somebody could easily just walk in, right? And chuck a bunch of change in there and be walking back out like all cool and stuff. And everybody would be like, dang, you hear how much money that dude put in there? That's a lot of, they're rich. So it was a big inward or outwardly sign of their socioeconomical presence, I'll put it that way, right? So if somebody was very wealthy, they could put in a ton of money, okay? All of it was an outward sign of their financials. (laughs) So there's a contrast here because we see in Scripture then, so that's kind of what the technical details of what's going on inside of the treasury, okay? So then we see, going forward then, we see this widow that comes in. Now, a widow of the time uh, was dressed differently than everybody else. We already said from even last week's uh, sermon and our community group time, we said how uh, widows were fringe, like they got taken advantage of. There was, uh, there was a way that you could easily pick out somebody who was a widow. And they were, they were quite frankly, most of them were poor, which is pretty much the reason why Jesus said to take care of the widows and orphans, right? They were the outcasts of that time. 
Okay, so then in this in this survey or in this uh, this the verses that we're reading, we're seeing this widow. We see no other conversation with this widow except this widow who was poor walked over and plopped in two coins. Pling, pling. Now, did that sound reverberate as well? Yeah, absolutely did. There was a reverberation of that sound too. So if the judgment, if there was any judgment from anybody that was sitting in the treasury, could they judge a widow or judge somebody by how much that they decided to put into the offering box? The answer is yes, absolutely. It could easily be judged whether it was a lot or whether it was a little. So in the scripture here, it says this poor widow dropped in two copper coins. Plink, plink. Now, they say in here that Mark uh, makes the account and says it's worth a penny, all right? So basically, you have to understand that was the, the woman put in the two coins at the time, but the way, the way that Mark was writing it was kind of putting it in reference to today's dollars, right? Or into today's time, obviously not into 2022's time, but the coins that she placed in there were really insignificant, very insignificant to the to the actual amount of rest of the money that was going in there, right, from all the rich people. They say in some of the commentaries that I had read, it was 164th of a day's wage, which is not a whole lot, almost like what a penny's worth today. <laughs> you think about it. I mean, pennies are, you don't buy, I remember when I was little, I used to go buy gum at the, at the, at the quick stop store down the street for literally a penny. They had you know, that bubble yum gum, the stuff that was like hard as bricks. And then you chewed it and it had flavor for about 90 seconds before it turned into like tar. Um, so that's how much that stuff cost. And I'm still, I'm not even that old, but I can still remember buying that stuff for a penny. Okay. So now you have this widow that placed in two coins and she uh, didn't, um, it made a noise. But the point that I'm trying to make here is, uh, did she care? With that, she placed in only two coins. And I'm not looking for answers back, but if you feel like answering me, that's fine. But what I'm trying to say is, Jesus then observed this, right? He's watching people, and then he called his disciples over. So granted, he's still teaching, but he's not teaching to the public. He's teaching now to his disciples. And, and look at what he said. He said, this poor widow put more into the, all the contribution to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. So all that she had to live on and all that she owned. That is very significant that Jesus specifically said the word all twice. Very significant because she was poor. She had very little cash to live on. Okay, And that is significant. She had very little actual cash to live on. But she decided to take the two coins that she did, and she gave them to the church. She gave them to God. She did it quietly. You didn't see, make a big scene. Obviously, the whole idea of putting two coins into the treasury is not making a ton of noise. So it was quiet. She did it quietly. But she didn't actually seem to care either, because if she cared... Do you think fear would have drove her away from not putting in anything? If you have a bunch of people that are in this room, if you can picture, if you can paint that picture, you have a bunch of well-to-do people that are throwing in tons of change and somebody walks up and is just like throwing a couple of change and then running away. 
right? You could easily go, oh, I can't even compete. It's not even, not, I'm not even going to bother going down that road. I'm not, I can't compete with them, so I'm not even going to bother. The other point that's really interesting here that's very significant is that it was everything. When Jesus said it was all that she owned, that was all. That was absolutely everything that she had. And what also is significant, the last part that I want to say, is that it was an offering. We don't see, we don't know exactly if she had any conversations with any of the religious leaders or the priests at that time, but it gives us, uh, it hints to the idea that she didn't have any conversation. This was a free will offering on her, that she decided to do. And she gave everything that she had. The point is that it was an offering, all right? It was everything she had. She didn't worry about where her next meal came from. She didn't worry about how she was going to pay her taxes. And she didn't worry about what it was like going to be like tomorrow. She offered all that she has been given by God to God. Period. God had provided for her two copper coins. And she gave back to God the two copper coins, knowing in her heart that tomorrow was going to be tomorrow and tomorrow had its own struggles. But her love for God trumped all of the main big offerings from all of these rich people. Her love for the Father was more than the monetary value of those two coins, but out of love, she did what she could. It should sound very familiar to the couple of verses before that, where God comes out, or where Jesus comes out, and what the, best, the greatest commandment is, is love your God with all of your heart. Love your God with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. When Jesus says all, it's not like a, meh, maybe most of it. It's an all. So this, this poor widow, out of everything that she had, was given a gift, given a treasure from God, and she gave it back out of love and out of compassion for her Father in heaven. It is true that it was quite worthless in monetary value. If you look at it in just a physical sense, the money that she gave didn't even stand in comparison. But to the reversal again, Jesus says that her contribution was more than any of the big financial donations that were given at that day and that time. And to be honest with you, for her, if you think about it on a, on a really nitty-gritty level, for that woman, she could have kept one coin. She could have. She could have kept two of them, all that she had. Would anybody would have blamed her? I mean, she was poor. All she had were two small copper coins. I mean, would you blame somebody if they have almost nothing to not give to the, not give to the temple treasury at that time? No, you wouldn't blame her. But her heart drove her out of compassion and love, drove her to give and to show her compassion to God in that relationship between God and her. She gave that out of love and out of compassion. So what do you think the disciples were thinking at this time? I mean, it, it's clear, right, uh, that she didn't put in much change. 
I'm hoping, I don't really know, I'm using my sanctified imagination here, but I'm hoping through all of this stuff that we've learned all the way back from, from chapter 11 and Mark all the way up to the end of chapter 12 that hopefully some of this stuff is starting to click, right? I'm hoping that these, that these disciples are going, oh, I see this, the kingdom reversal thing happening. Now, I don't really know. I don't really know what they thought, but I'm hoping that they do. I'm hoping that they see that the sacrificial giving of your heart is more than a monetary value that you actually give. And I want us to really hold on to that today. It is true that churches, it is true that we are told to give of our treasure. Now, what that monetary value is, I can't tell you. If you go back in Mark, we can reference this really well to the uh, rich young ruler that we talked about in Mark chapter 10. So if you can, go ahead and flip there. But if not, I'm just going to read it. Jesus tells this man to sell all that he possesses, and he will have treasure in heaven. The story continues with the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler went away, and he was saddened. Okay, it says... And starting in verse 19, the young ruler tells Jesus, it says, You know all the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. So this man, this rich young ruler has done everything on the outside. He has kept all of the commandments. He's kept them all. He's done it. He's actually showing Jesus. And I don't think Jesus sat there and denied him. He was like, yeah, yeah, I think you have. But he says, you, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and follow me. He looked good. This rich young ruler looked really good on the outside. But what happened? He had tons of possessions. He could not get rid of them. They ruled his life. So he went away sad. The rich young ruler went away sad. Take that in comparison to this widow. This widow had nothing. She had nothing. She was the fringe part of society. She had nothing. And she still gave everything. And in turn gave more than anybody else had at that time. So for us, what does this mean for us then? First off, I want to be clear. Hefty donations are okay. <laughs> All right? I just want to be clear with that. Hefty donations are an okay thing. This passage that we read here doesn't show Jesus condemning the people that were rich. It wasn't, he was observing. He was observing. Okay? So I want to be clear there. Proverbs 22 says, The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. This point, hopefully we can see that God is more interested in your heart as a giver than he is the actual dollar amount of that's being given. Hopefully we can see that right now. Now there are tons of warnings in scripture. I don't want to deny them. There are tons of warnings in scripture about uh, the value of money and, or worshiping money. You can't have two gods, especially if you look at uh, 1 Timothy 6. 
It says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap and money and, I'm sorry, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. The point that, I'm, that I want you to see there, though, is that in that 1 Timothy 6, it says, those who want to get rich. So the desire of the heart is getting rich. It'll steer you down towards temptation and all evil things. Plunge you into ruin and destruction. I apologize. Let me correct that. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So it is true that being a lover of money will take you to destruction. But that does not mean that somebody who loves the Lord and gives with a gracious heart and had takes and is responsible and respectful for everything that God has given them, that they can't make a lot of money. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> it's, it's a thing, right? It's also a thing that it's, some people don't make a lot of money, and that's a thing as well. What God cares about is our attitude of our heart. So I guess the next thing for us, and what does it mean for us, is then how do you contribute to the work of God? And I'll throw that question out there. Don't answer it now. But maybe you can process that. How do you contribute to the work of God? I don't know. If we're going to talk strictly finances, I don't know what that dollar amount is for you. Because I don't even know if I can look at all of your books, all of your finances, all of that, and figure it all out and say, this is the dollar amount you're supposed to give if I'm talking just financially. That's between you and God. And honestly, we were talking this morning, and honestly, it's a maturity thing too. Because even somebody who has made some, maybe some poor financial decisions in the past don't have anything right now. But God, in his love and in his grace, can easily change situations in our life to give back. But that means we have to be a cheerful giver. Now, that's talking about just the financial side of things. And it is true. For us today, the church needs money to operate on. That's a thing, right? This pavilion costs. You know, Joel puts in tons of labor hours uh, a week, daily, doing uh, all the pastoral duties that he does. Those things have, those things for him to live, it, it costs money. He's got to have a mortgage to pay and food to put on the table and all of that. It is true that churches cost money, right? I don't want to deny that, right? But in it as, as a group, as a church here, I want to talk about not just the financials of how we contribute to the work of God. I want to talk about how does the gifts that God has given us today give back to God. In our time and in our talents and in our treasure. Because those are gifts that we've given, that we've been given We are commanded to give to the mission, and how that fleshes out a lot of times is through time, talent, and treasure. So here at Cross Point Coast, one of the ways we, we explain this and kind of put it together is through what we call gospel rhythms. And this is where I'm going to take a plug and say, if you want to know what these rhythms are, I 
I can print them off for you, but they're on the website for you to read at your own leisure too. If you go to, if you go to crosspointcoast.com, you will find in there all of the rhythms. And one of the rhythms that is written up that is actually beautifully worded with lots of words is, um, is the rhythm of contribution, the contribution rhythm, okay? How we contribute. And I want to pull a quote from one of the, it's like page two of that section. It comes out to like page 40, I think, in the whole thing. All right? But it sheds a ton of light on what? It says, the reason for a church to be on mission necessitates a source of the mission, a reason for the mission. The source and reason for the mission of the church is God and his plan to redeem and renew all things through Jesus for his glory and our joy. The father is a sending father who sent his son who sends the church on his mission. That is beautifully worded because the church is the mission to this world and we are a part of that. We can lock arms together. We have that opportunity to be the church together, changing the culture, changing people. Not like we can do it, but we are the legs. We are the, the, uh, the voices of God as he empowers us for change. Because I can't physically do it myself. God does all the work, but I can walk through this. So how this looks is it through gospel generosity, missional living, gospel contribution, and church planning. That's the way that Cross Point Coast sets it all up, okay? So obviously church planning is really big for us. We're a church plant. We're meeting in a pavilion in Cape Canaveral, okay? We are a church plant. Church planning is awesome. Joel, a couple weeks ago, did a uh, church planning mission Sunday. Um, if you want to go back and listen to those talking about that, it is, please do so. It was great. But I want to talk specifically right now about contribution, okay, our contribution. And, and I want to talk and I want to break it down into time, talent, and treasure, all right? So if you're a note taker, this is something that uh, we're going to talk about and I'll define for you. And then we should have these conversations about this as in our families, in with our friends, uh, as a community group together or as a community of the church. We talk about the time. First off is time. We have to see that God gives us time. I know for me, my wife has taught me graciously how to plan and I'm not very good at it. But the time that God has given us is a gift. It is a gift. If you woke up this morning, God has a mission for you today. He's given you time to be here, to do things that you're going to do today. You may have planned them all out. You may have planned out your entire rest of your day. But the time that you were given, are we, great, are we grateful for the time that God's given us today, in this moment? How are you giving back with the time that God has given you? Remember what I said, God is the giver so we can give back. This isn't something that I drum up myself. God has given me time. How am I, how do I steward that time? How do I contribute to the mission with the time that God has given me? Maybe you have quick time. Maybe you don't have a lot of time. Maybe it's super quick. 
Maybe you have extensive time. Maybe you're like, man, today I'm going to sit on that beach and I am going to do nothing for like 16 hours. Maybe. If God has you in rest, then that's great. If God has things, we have to to be at a point as a church that we ask God, God, what do you want me to do with the time that you've given me now, today, in this moment? And God, I'm a planner, so help me plan, (laughs) right? And and we have to come to God with the time that he's given us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says, and uh, through 17 says, Then so be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As a church, as the church, we also have talents. God has given us talents. If you are, you are created uniquely with the talents that God has gifted you with. Some of it's music. Maybe some of it's finances. Maybe some of it is being a mechanic. Maybe some of it is being really, really good at Excel. Who knows what your talents are? Uh, I, I don't know all of your talents. But has God given you those talents? Has he given you a mind to learn how to run Excel or how, to, how the, uh, the language of music works? Has he given that stuff to you? If he has, then those are talents that God has equipped you with. How do you give back to God with the talents that he has graciously given to you? I'm convinced that God has knit all of us together inside of this pavilion. And even those that would say they're a part of this plant at Cape Canaveral, he's knit us all together to be the church. And we have everything we need amongst ourselves to love God with the way that God has given us. Give back to God with what he's given us. I'm convinced of it. If somebody is having a rough day and you have a talent of being able to be um, patient and you can, you can sit and you can talk with them and you have a compassion heart, God causes us all to be compassionate, but we also know there are some people that are better than that or than other people. That you can almost say is a talent, right? Maybe that is how you give back to the church, how you give that to God. How do you respond back? I'm convinced that we have everything as a church that we need in this pavilion to love one another and love God back with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. The last is treasure. The last is treasure. And that means finances and or things. You can look at treasure as things. Maybe God's provided you with a, a, a whole mess of tools, right, that you never use. And somebody is trying to be a mechanic or something somewhere, and they need a mess of tools. You have a treasure, don't you? So in that, I want to I be clear. Um, in that, those treasures, we have to see them as given to us. God has given us, given us money as well. He's given us actual dollar amounts. How do you give that back to God? It's not necessarily the dollar amount 
that I'm talking about. I'm talking about your attitude of your heart in your giving attitude. The point that I'm trying to, add, to trying to say at the end of the day with all of this, and what we see from Scripture and we see how Jesus referenced this widow, we get to, it comes down to this, basically this one question, this one last statement is if God provided everything, how are we sacrificially giving back to him? I'll leave you with that question. I'll leave you with that question. How are you giving back your time, talents, and treasure? 